The Holy Gospel according to Luke in the 18th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. And let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and our minds be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you were buying a home in first century Jerusalem and the realtor told you that a family of Pharisees lived next door, you'd probably be pretty happy about that. Pharisees conducted exemplary lives. They studied hard. They held highly esteemed positions in society. They were extremely devout, moral people who always followed the rules. Their yards were tidy. They were never loud after 10 p.m. In fact, they never met a rule they didn't like, and they thought everyone else should follow the rules as well. You might say they were evangelistic about the rules, and so they had a reputation for being a bit judgmental. Indeed, if you did buy that house next door to a Pharisee, the first thing you'd probably want to do is buy curtains for your windows. The Pharisees followed not only the law of Moses, but also the tradition of extra laws handed down through the generations. Scholars refer to this as dual Torah. We know about that since we also follow not only what the Bible says, but also a bunch of extra biblical rules and advice we've collected along the way. For example, how many times have you heard, God helps those who help themselves? The Bible doesn't say that. It's actually antithetical to what the Bible does say, but it's part of our inherited tradition of rules for life. Your tradition of rules can come from your parents or maybe your teachers, your peer group, your economic philosophy, or the social norms of your generation. But we all have a dual Torah, the Bible and all of the other rules that we think will help us be good people. Jesus' frequent point to the Pharisees and to us is that all of the other rules often prevent us from truly listening to the Bible. And to make this point, he told yet another parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee is standing by himself, and that already tells us something. Who can stand next to someone who's so good? And he begins to pray, God, I thank you that I'm not like others, thieves, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
Pharisees weren't the only people who despised tax collectors. They were the least esteemed people in Jewish society because they'd betrayed their neighbors. They were collaborators with the oppressive Romans, collecting their taxes that were already harsh, and they were allowed to hike up the tax for their own exorbitant fees. So they stole from both from their own people in violation of both the Torah and their traditions. And the Pharisee is thankful that his life didn't turn out like that. And so before we jump on this Pharisee, notice that he's giving thanks to God. Aren't we also thankful that we have not spent our life hurting others? Clearly, we've been given opportunities others did not have. We've made some mistakes and are far from perfect, but we're not known as evildoers. We certainly aren't collaborators with the enemy, and like the Pharisee, we're thankful for that. And the Pharisee continues his prayer, I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of my income. Okay, here the comparison starts to break down, but you probably could point to something you've done well this week. There was some kind and encouraging word, an act of compassion, and a whole lot of hard work delivered out of faithfulness to your calling. You probably won't boast about it to God, but your own internal record-keeping remembers it. The point is, not only did you not spend the week doing horrible things, but you did spend it being as faithful as you could to your dual Torah. All in all, you did pretty well. Again, by the rules. So you can relate to the Pharisee. When the tax collector prays, he doesn't even lift up his face to the heaven. He just beats his chest and says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's it. He offers no excuses, no worn out lines about being a victim, and no pointless comparisons with tax collectors who are worse than he is. He just confesses and pleads for mercy. And Jesus then interprets his own parable by telling us that it is the tax collector who is justified, which means he's made right in the eyes of God. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, Jesus adds. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Where did the Pharisee go wrong? According to Jesus, he did not humble himself before God. It's one thing to be thankful to God that you compare better than others. It's quite another to be thankful for mercy. Only the humble are thankful for mercy. You cannot ask for mercy without being humbled. It's not hard to ask for mercy when everyone in society knows that you're a crook, like this tax collector. It's not hard to ask for mercy when you're the prodigal, when it's clear that you've made a mess of life and there's nothing left to do but ask for mercy. It's very hard to ask for mercy when your sins are uninteresting, so subtle that nobody really cares, and when the rest of society believes that comparatively you're doing pretty well. It's very hard to, to ask for mercy when you're just not that big of a sinner. And I find that when I speak like this, people get offended thinking that I'm calling them underachieving sinners. 
But even that offense illustrates the point that we are achievers. It's one of the other rules by which we live. We have high aspirations for even our sins. And that reveals the silliness of a dual Torah. It begs the point of the parable to try to turn Pharisees into tax collectors. Again, relatively speaking, Pharisees are pretty good people who don't have an obvious need for mercy. But Jesus is clear. No one is made right with God without mercy. So how do the relatively good find mercy? The first thing to do is to forget about dual Torahs. Forget about having two authorities for finding God. An inherited tradition of rules will never lead a good rule follower to mercy. It will lead to a good life. It will lead to carefulness. But it will not lead you to God. Only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can lead us home to his Father. And he does that not because you're so deserving, but only because he's the lover of your soul. And that's humbling. After all the wonderful things you've done, after all the sacrifices and hard work you've done, after all of the good choices that you've made, it's still not good enough to do what only the love of God can do for you. Jesus often exposed the sins of the Pharisees to help them see that good was never good enough. Yes, they gave 10%, but they didn't take care of their aging parents. Yes, they avoided adultery, but not lust, which he claimed was just as bad. Yes, they sought sanctification and holiness, but in the words of Sam Smith, they were still doing something unholy. Yes, they gave hospitality, but not love, which turns their hospitality into hypocrisy. Here Jesus touches deeply upon an anxiety of the Pharisees. We can never follow the rules well enough. We know we can break them any day as we have in past days. We break the law and the spirit of the law. So as judgmental as we may seem to others, we always reserve our harshest judgments for ourselves. Mercy. Mercy. Good can never be good enough. Haven't we learned that by now? The only way to find a life that is truly good enough is for Jesus to give you his life. It's why we come to the communion table, to commune with Jesus Christ. You can come as the tax collector or as a Pharisee, as a prodigal or as an elder brother, as one whose sins are flagrant, hidden, or subtle. But there's only one reason to come to this table, and that is to find mercy. We come to this table to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ and to take his uniquely good enough life into our own. The reformer Martin Luther claimed that a joyful or happy exchange occurs at this table. We bring Christ our sins and we receive his righteousness. We arrive humble and we leave exalted. Grace in action starts here. Celebration comes from mercy, mercy that is for you under the bread and wine, the body and the blood of Christ. Mercy that frees us in Christ, and in that freedom we're able to turn outward in love and in service to the world. Freed in Christ, grace becomes action. Our pledges, our labors, our witness as a community all begins here at a table and then spreads throughout our church, our neighborhoods, the world. 
And when I think about this type of grace, the humility of gathering at this table, for me, a song comes to mind. It's a simple one. It was written by Barbara Hamm, a United Church of Christ minister of music. My voice totally cracked for the first service, so I'm going to try for this one too, but I'm going to sing the verse and then I invite you to sing with me a second time. Come to the table of grace. Come to the table of grace. This is God's table, it's not yours or mine. Come to the table of grace. Come to the table of grace. Come to the table of grace. This is God's table, it's not yours or mine. Come to the table of grace. In just a little bit, you will be invited to come to the table of grace. I invite you to come however you are, whoever you are, wherever you are. For indeed, here we are met with mercy. And here our action begins. Amen.